Bad with Stan. Bad with Stan. With Stan. Yeah, you got it. Bad with Stan. Bad with Stan. Bad with Stan. Bad with Stan. Episode whatever. Welcome, welcome, yeah, what are you saying is welcome. We've got to keep these going. Let me just clear my glasses. You got the patience for that? Right. Jonathan from Newcastle says, Hi, Mac, we have a lot of Greggs near where we live. What's the nearest Greggs to your house? Yeah, it's very passionate about that. The closest one is Kilburn High Road. <laughs> yep. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to Bar Italia, London. Apparently the world's most famous coffee shop, but they have given me a latte in a glass which I know is a standard serve, but I don't like it. It's too hot for your hands. Anyway, there's going to be clanging and banging because we're really here and it's really raining. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with Ryan Martin. Hello. Ryan Martin is a musician, singer-songwriter and great friend from the New York area, but originally from California. The first question, Ryan, I always ask everyone is, who are you? So, uh, yeah, my name is Ryan Martin. I've always kind of identified myself as an artist and a songwriter since my early teen years. And so that's kind of taken me around the country. And uh, now here we are in London. And I've stopped. <laughs> I've, I've, I'm kind of on a hiatus, you know. You have the music of clanging bottles anyway. So the story is I was living in L.A., Nothing was really happening. I was trying to meet people. I was trying to, like, you know, get connected into some sort of, like, scene. Nothing was really working out. And uh, I was working at Whole Foods in Brentwood, which is, like, a terrible, just a terrible place. But you get a discount? You do get a discount, and you get to meet celebrities. But what celebrities, what happened? I, uh, I ran into Sissy Spacek. That was pretty cool. Mm. I talked to... Adam Sandler came through my line. Bob Saget was really funny. Was Adam Sandler quite serious? No, he was a very charming, polite person. I suppose you can't judge people by just when they're buying their vegetables and you're putting their thing no, through the No, you can't. But even the fact that like he comes in and like buys these things himself and like shows up to talk to people face-to-face when he knows wherever he goes, like people, people are going to mob him, yeah. I think is like... To me, that's a that's a good sign, you know. Have you heard the thing about when he met Springsteen in a gym in like New Jersey or something, and Springsteen came out and went, "Yeah, I know who you are, <laughs> Adam Sandman," <laughs> and then Sandler just went, "Yeah, I am." <laughs> okay, so you're in Whole Foods and it was shit. No, I'm in Whole Foods and it was shit, and uh, it was like a spontaneous decision. I quit on the spot. 
I told the boss, like, I quit, threw the apron in the trash. Said, fuck you. Got it Didn't say fuck you. She was nice enough. But they were like, what? You're going to what? And I was like, yeah, I'm going to leave. And so I left. I bought a map. And I met my friend in Ohio. Great person and artist. You saved any money? You're just like a spontaneous? No, I have enough to, like get there and I knew that and I had another paycheck on the way Ohio you're going to New York though you're not going to Ohio well well, the the idea was to meet my friend in Ohio and just travel around and like play music together yeah because at the time I was I wasn't confident as a singer and I needed I felt like I needed a partner you know Mm. so anyway ended up in New York on my own and um, just decided to run out of money live out of my car and in Manhattan and create another life for myself there and that's you had a car I did have a car how did you park I eventually sold there's some spots in Queens where you can park and there's not like alternate side parking actually but then it's a good tip on living in New York it's a good tip on living in New York I don't know if it still exists but also eventually I did get like ticket after ticket and had to sell my car because I had I needed money and I didn't have any money so my idea for living in a car has been to join... A, I'm a member of Better Gym, which is ironic because they're not better than any other gym. It's pretty much like a homeless shelter with, like, showers. Yeah, and just shower in Better Gyms nationally and then live in your car if I had to be really on the red line. You're just like my friend Tommy because that's what he would do. Right. He would go to, like, 24-hour... He would have a 24-hour fitness membership. Yeah. He would sleep in, like, a Walmart parking lot or a 24-hour parking lot. Mm. Because I don't know if Walmart lets you sleep in there. And he would, like, you know, go and shower there and sleep out of a car. I don't think it's a very romantic life, though. No. You're going to have to ask him. I don't, I don't think I'd choose that. Not a long term. Anymore. Yeah. But at the time, it was fun. It's like the ultimate defiance of your safe upbringing. And also being inspired by stories of other songwriters who had done that. on Craigslist Rideshare for anyone who wanted to, you know, help me pay for gas from Cleveland to uh, to New York. And I got a response from a guy named Dave Smith, who's a great bass player, and he ended up being um, yeah, basically in, in the band for the next four years. So it's just like giving up all that safety, like you were saying. Yeah. You know what I mean? And doing something like that. I think that there is... There's an attractive element to that, mm. you know, and and I think that that brings people in. So that's one of the reasons why Dave and I became friends, just because I was on this random trip, and he knew that I was serious about it when I was going to New York without anything, any money or anything, just like in pursuit of a dream. And so, yeah, that's I, pretty cool though. Isn't it? A lot of people don't have the balls to do that. No, I don't. I don't think a lot of people do, man. But I, I needed to have that experience, and I always. What'd your family think of that? They know? Did you, did you lie? You said you're just traveling. No, no. I, I, 
they actually were like pretty surprisingly supportive of it. I remember calling them from the car and they were like, oh, okay, well, have fun. I suppose they have to say that. They can't say they'll drive you further away if they go, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Well, a lot of parents would. Of course. But they had, I think, seen me in worse places before that. Mm -hmm. So the idea of me just like up and leaving and moving to a different place spontaneously um, wasn't like that big of a deal, you know. Right, so you clearly have a story, yeah? So shall I keep going with that? Um, with the direct questions? Or do you want to keep telling your story? We can do the, we can do the random Right, let's do the random round and we'll come back to your story. Random! So Ryan, can you change a car tyre? No. Have you ever tried? Much to my shame. Me neither. Okay. <laughs> What's next in your world of grooming? Ah. Do you have any plans for hair, facial hair, haircuts? So I think, I think I'm going to shave my face for a while. I've been doing the scraggly songwriter look for most of my life. And actually, I decided before I came out here to kind of reinvent myself like just superficially mm. and so I went and I bought all these like nice collared shirts and even ties like I'll wear ties now and so now I, I shave my face and I cut my hair short so you're ready to work in the city yeah I'm, re- I'm ready for like a real job as they would say right. you know so you can get an Irish passport so you want to come here so I'm not on the random round anymore. yeah yeah no 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 say whatever you want you um, want to be in Europe maybe well here you have me in this right now today Having been in London for 13 days, 12 days, having come and live in Ger- lived in Germany for three and a half months, um, I think I think I would come to the UK. I think I would like living here, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's hard not to look with rose-colored glasses because I've only been here for 12 weeks and I'm on vacation. I don't have a job. I don't have any, like, big commitments. It's different having a kid and having to like go to appointments in a massive city and there's just a lot going on and as someone who's like kind of prone to anxiety too um i don't know if like big cities are for me anymore yeah but there's something about london compared to new york that is more it's just like it's refreshed my like drive the sand beard joke of the month Where do rainbows go when they've broken the law? To prison for a light sentence. Right, we're back. We're outside. We're sitting opposite Ronnie Scott's, the world's most famous jazz club. We're below where Mozart lived at some point, probably not in the last 20 years. We're opposite Zima restaurant, Russian restaurant, which I've work meeting in about five years ago and a Russian girl came on to me. That's Cafe Nero where last time um, I had a bacon sandwich there and they forgot to charge me and I just went with it because it's too much money and I yeah, always yeah, yeah. I spend too much money in Cafe Nero. Yeah, that's okay. And uh, they came out and asked, have you paid? And I went, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, so we're in the rain now but it feels more London. It's needed to rain for about 10 days for the history books. 
it's august 2022 it's been a heat wave and it's finally relieving now and like we can chill out it's been too hot what's your perspective on the heat i'm not a person who likes the heat i like the cool the cool weather in summer i'm not someone who's like happy when it's 90 degrees you know i think this could be a good place for you like seriously i think you could too there's a healthcare system you can start a new there's an education system that's a bit more free and the teachers get paid to do the job yeah yeah you have world experience you're in a different place this is why i always think i'm better in america because a therapist told me that the further you are from your origin the more you're yourself oh wow that's really interesting yeah going back to the story i guess that's what drove me to just go to the farthest place that i could go you're trying to find yourself going from la to new york trying to find myself yeah i think so so i'm in new york uh i remember i'll tell one story really quick the guy that i moved to new york with dave smith he had a friend who had like a man a music management company and so me at 22 coming to new york it's day two he's like yeah i'm gonna take you to meet my friend he's a manager you know you should play for him a little bit and in my mind this is like oh this is my moment you know and i smoked a joint before I went in, which was a horrible idea because weed would always make me paranoid, even then. And I went in there and I was nervous as shit and I didn't know what to play and I fumbled through like a song that I was working on that had like kind of half been written. And he was like the type two who like thought he was the real deal. So he's like, I gotta get to the airport in five minutes. He's like, what do you got? I thought this was my big audition. And I totally blew it. What was the song? It was Little Tramp, which was on the first record. All right, let's hear a bit of that. Like every woman can wait to jump in my I'm sure it was an awful like audition and so I remember that feeling of like okay I just then like rejected and I go back to my car and I had so he said he he said I'm not interested or what did he say he he made that clear because he was like well he's like we're also looking for interns this is before I played and then I played and he was like ah well you could tell by someone's reaction right so he's like oh okay so it's like and he like made some like comment about like one lyric that he kind of liked but mostly it was like yeah like this guy's no good and after that he said like he's like here's my card and give me a call if you want to talk about the internship he had a card at least well he had a card but he said the internship so it was like we don't want to work with you musically and apparently Dave has always been good friends with him and throughout my career he's never liked any of my music that's been the report coming from that guy. That guy couldn't. He could never get past that terrible. Well, well, he managed to turn an audition to be an artist that gets paid and is, is helped out by a record company to you working for him as an intern, which is an unpaid situation. Yeah. That was a bit of a galling thing for him to do, I, I expect. Yeah, well, I think he was a bit of a dick. Yeah. So. Okay, so what happened next? This is good. I didn't even need to do my questions. Okay, so. I'm in the car. I'm like, wow, I just blew it. What am I going to do now? I have like $300 left. I could go back to California to my safe life or I could spend my money, go out in New York and like see what the fuck happens. And I decided to go out and 
It was a lot of drinking and not a lot of playing for a few months, but I did end up meeting this girl who was a singer, and I ended up living with her in her apartment in Greenpoint for a little while. And I would do that and also live in my car. And, uh, and then I got a job at Wicked Willie's off Liquor Street. I think you have water falling into your coffee. Fuck's sake. <laughs> like, we're getting there. I mean, was I wrong? I was wrong, maybe, to move out. But I feel well, maybe, more confident but, but about the sound. It's action, though. It's like, kind of creates an atmosphere. And we're on electronic sense. devices here. I have the iPad. Hold up. But you've got an umbrella. You're holding up an umbrella. You've got rain falling through the awning into your coffee. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's all very uh, exciting. There's delivery drivers here on Frith Street, London. And so then what? <laughs> you stayed with a girl... This is romantic. I stayed with a girl. It's not romantic. She was a friend. She would sing with me. And then I eventually ended up doing open mics after getting a job at Wicked Willies, which is a rowdy, kind of degenerate, you know, Bleecker Street NYU bar. No, I remember you doing that. But nonetheless, I did meet great people through that job. One of my friends, Nathan Corsi, who now lives in um, Kansas City. He's an amazing musician, songwriter. And uh, we met there. And so the village and all its like debauchery in like 2009 kind of became the center of my life. I still had that romantic idea that I was walking down these historical streets where all these great songwriters lived, where all this history had happened. And there's not much left. Like for anyone who's really ever been there, even, you know, what's it called? That place at the end, even the bitter end, is is uh, pay to play. Terrible, terrible place. You don't ever. <laughs> I don't think you ever want to be there. And you were like had the beard, and you had like a shocking essence of Neil Young to me. <laughs> In your performance, yeah, he's, always, he's always kind of yeah. In the song "Hard Man to Love." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, reminded me a lot of I, Neil Young, I, I but in write. a good way, in a great way, sure. like nobody does. Huh? That's. Thank you for saying that. And that's yeah. interesting. I mean, yeah. I'll steal some of his rhythms and things, but yeah. And, and there's a lot of influence there. And for, to a certain degree, yeah, like I'd wear that on my sleeve, not in a way that I felt like was being disingenuous, but in a way that I felt like, you know, just kind of came naturally. Mm. A walking with ghosts and a dance with the sunrise host. But I catch a ride from the madman to the coast Where I dig for a loser's home Well, cause I'm a hard man to love Like a setting sun A hard man to love Can't give enough A hard man to love Cause I'm Yeah, there was that. I thought you had great songs too. And we and we connected over music and we became songwriter buddies living in I, if I can just say though, I listened to some of your songs on the way here and we're in a similar situation in that, you know, if no one blows your horn, you gotta do it yourself. We're both fucking great. Our songs are great. <laughs> That's the thing. The thing is about your music and probably a lot of mine, is that it doesn't really matter. It's not 
fashionable, it's not faddy, it's classic and it's like timeless. So it doesn't matter if we're like sitting around in the rain and we're disillusioned about it maybe now or <laughs> don't know what the point of doing it is. It's there and you've done it. Yeah. Um, how did you... Uh, well, I, I've got questions. Do you want to carry on with what happened next then? I don't know if we need to. I mean, I'm... That's I, it. You know, that's, that's kind of it. We're up to date. Yeah, we're, we're kind of up to date. I mean, there's a lot that I could talk about, but I don't know how interesting it would be. But um, another stroke of luck, I would say, is, you know, around that time meeting George and then becoming good friends with George and having someone who, like, actually funded yeah. my art, which is amazing. Like, I, I don't know anyone who's had a situation like that. I consider myself very lucky in that one. What's the song you're most proud of? I think I'm really proud of a song called, uh, shit, why can't I remember? <laughs> well, I just listened to the one, I lost my mind. Okay. That's got a really interesting Beatles-y refrain. I mean, I know I'm just saying a song I just listened to by oh, you. Cool. Were you about to say that one? That'd be no, miraculous. I wasn't. No, I wasn't because I'm self-conscious about that one because I always felt that one was a bit beyond my range. But did you lose your mind? Well, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I feel like I'm still messing around trying to find, like, yeah. the sound that works well with my voice. It's kind of funny. I feel like my natural instincts as a songwriter and my abilities as a singer have never quite been in sync. And that's been a real self-conscious thing for me. Yeah. Because I always did this belty thing, which I feel like kind of... Would, would gloss over sometimes some of like the pitchiness that happens when I sing because I'm not a, I'm not a great singer I mean I, I've never had a natural ability as a singer and it's always been the one issue even in making records even in making this last record you know it's always been like a struggle I have to do a ton of fucking takes man and it, and it, it sometimes wears me down when I think about it too much mm. I'm in a phase which I've analysed, which is very like my teens. So I'm listening to Oasis at the moment. Yeah. There's a YouTube channel that has all of their gigs, like all the bootlegs. Oh, yeah. They've all been like put through frequency things so you can hear them and stuff. Yeah. And I was a massive, massive fan. You know, I'm that age where they're my band. So I have to, I've discovered like, I can't say Neil Young or Bruce Springsteen or um, any of this stuff. I probably have to say Oasis is my band. My first band, like for my dad, it was The Who. They're the lads band that got idiots into music and stuff. And his voice, interestingly, has been on a journey as well. Oh yeah? Where he does drink and drugs and, you know, stays up all night. But his voice is a wonder, it's like wine. Like the fans are in the comments going, this gig, he'd obviously done a gig the night before, so yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But then when it's good with Liam Gallagher, it's, like, there. So all I would say from my perspective is, yeah, you have to, like, keep using your instrument maybe and rest. You know, if you actually seriously want to be a singer, especially in your 30s or 40s or whatever, I don't think you can cane it. You can't be, like, tired or no. it's a job. It's a, it's a you know, it's work. Yeah. I to agree. get it right. I agree. And, I, and, and for the last few years, man, I fucking, I busted my ass. Yeah. Like, to really commit to being a singer. And I, I took vocal lessons, you know. I would do, like, vocal exercises. I would get sleep. I would exercise. I would do all these things that I thought, like, would make me a better singer. And it probably did. But still, at the same time, like... You're self-conscious of it. Well, no, I still struggle with it. I mean, you can listen to... 
however many takes I did off the last record, like there'll be glaring moments where like, oh, that's really pitchy. And it just... And you're it like, just, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> well, at some point, like, I don't care, you know, because like what I'm doing is like, I'm in the moment, I'm experiencing what I'm doing and it's satisfying me. Mm. And if it's a little bit pitchy, it doesn't bother me, but I'm not sure that is going to gain a wider audience outside the people who are really going to get it. And there's even moments on the last record, you were asking me, what's the song I'm most proud of? Yeah. But it's way out of my range. I mean, it's, it's the, on the latest album. It's a short, breezy song, but I used it, I wrote it on a dulcimer, a mountain dulcimer, which you use on your lap, which you like Joni Mitchell used a lot wow. in blue. Yeah. And I was really into the sound of a marimba at the time. So I knew I wanted to have this marimba part. So we brought in this like mallet player who played some marimba and xylophone and like glockenspiel. And we came up with, I think, a really great arrangement for it. It's my favorite thing that I've ever done. It's just, it's, it's got an orchestral feel. How can I explain the way I am? When peace reaches out. I want you to dance to the song Ryan Martin. I'm here with him in Soho, London. We're drinking lattes, our third one, which has a mixture of rainwater in it. And what were you saying? Uh, so I was saying we were talking about the struggle with finding satisfaction in fulfilling your desires, I think, yes. and how that's a, a never-ending kind of cycle. Pursuit of pleasure. Pursuit of pleasure, and how that is never really it. There can be no ultimate fulfillment of your desires to the point where you're totally satisfied and so what i was talking about was my journey has been more of a spiritual kind of internal journey in finding satisfaction outside of the pursuit of my desires yeah. so what does that entail what where's the satisfaction for you then so Finding satisfaction I mean, outside well, of your desire. So right. the, the in, what did you say? The in brain and the out or the... So the we were talking about psychology. Yeah. The id, you know. I want to shag. I want to eat. I want to drink. All the yeah. pleasure. It's the pleasure seeking yeah. part of you, you know. So to me, I mean, that's always there. It's not black and white. You know, I'm not like an enlightened person at all. <laughs> and, and, and in fact, to this day, I still, even recently, man, like... I'm looking, I'm just browsing through a magazine in Reading. We're at Sophia's aunt's house. And I'm like browsing through this like living magazine. He's like upscale, posh, you know, apartments and designers and stuff. I'm like looking at these pictures of hot tubs and shit. And I'm like, wow, that looks amazing. You know, and then in my mind, I'm like, I want to make a lot of money. You know, like I want to make a lot of money. I want to get that fucking hot tub. And I want to have a nice garden. And I want to have a big house like the one I grew up in you weren't thinking of filling the hot tub with champagne and hookers I wasn't thinking of that no right. see I guess that's part of it too it's like well 
realistically, like, it's just knowing that you're never going to find, I think, happiness in the fulfillment of all your desires. That, that's an impossible. And that's the first step. You know, and pursuing so internal fulfillment, what would you say? You know, I've, I said it was like a spiritual journey for me, and it is. And it's, I guess, in the selflessness and in trying to contribute to the world and to other people in a way that is more comes from a place of giving and service rather than a place of like need and desire you know so this happened with becoming a dad it's happened with becoming a dad but yes but it also happened with becoming sober yeah and i don't think i don't think i would have been sober also without being a parent like i needed to have so saved your life so, yeah I would say that my daughter saved my life yeah absolutely because I wouldn't have been able to get sober and survive if I hadn't have pure love of you know having I, she was three at the time a three year old a two or three year old daughter who like you just can't imagine abandoning someone like that you know like I, I couldn't ever do that and so that kind of pulled me in the direction of sobriety and then kind of reframing my worldview which is not the pursuit of endless desires but one of you know humility and living in the moment and satisfaction and um i don't know just being helpful being useful being a humble person of the earth helping someone who needs it things like that you know being there for my daughter it's a big one which is all like i mean you know to me parenthood is extremely challenging like I've yeah you know I'm not supposed to be here right now (laughs) (laughs) you know my friend Lucas he once said the first year is hell and I always held on to that and that actually turned out to be very true and after the first year well yeah because you don't sleep I mean if I don't if I sleep only two hours a night and I gotta work a job and even just being that sleep deprived on a constant on a daily basis is really tough well we have a system where she does the getting up between 12 and 5 and then I spend from 5 till 9 with him and then he goes back to sleep about 8.30 but this morning because I was coming to do this I think she just let me sleep so I'm fine today That's nice. <laughs> and it's not hell for me I love it what is a mystery in life that you can't get your head around Ooh. this is such a random podcast in terms of structure yeah 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 no it's fun um too hard is that question an entire podcast yeah I think it is an entire podcast Um, as far as mysteries go I've heard of God referred to as the great mystery and to me like that's almost enough to explain it in itself I don't need to like create some form that it is or an ideology that like it has that like governs the world or leads to an afterlife or anything like that so do you believe in a higher power i believe yeah that there's a higher power but it's not so concrete as to be one thing like i'll share an experience with you when i was in germany recently my daughter goes to school in this small village and i go running now and i would run in the morning and i ran into my daughter and she was outside of school with her class and they were coming from the gym or something like that. And, you know, kids at her age, she was seven, they're so, like, 
shocked to like see you out of like the context of like what they regularly see their parents in right that she was so happy and excited to see me and it was just like this pure form of joy when she like runs to me and says daddy and jumps on me and gives me a big hug and the feeling that i get from that is the closest to describing what god is so yeah i've often thought that god is love and love is god and that's one way to say it you know that's the higher power that we need to serve it is. I think you could call it love. I think you could kind of call it kindness. Yeah. You know, I think you could call it connection. But I don't think it needs to be, you know, something that's like something that's so, yeah, something that's so like intellectualized. Very much to this day, what I've been going through is like trying to let go of this idea of trying to make my life similar to the stories of those people that inspired me that i was in pursuit of for a long time like so like new neil young or bob dylan new york yeah yeah having you know having this life where i live off my art where i have a large audience where i'm like touring around now in my mid-30s that's no, probably not going to happen and i don't know if i want to pursue that anymore yeah does it make you happy anyway that that, that life i don't even know if that would make me happy i mean i've never had it so i don't think i want a tour I don't think I would want a tour either. And and especially the reality these days, unless you're a mega star, you're going to have to tour constantly to make a living at it. I don't, I don't know, and I don't need, think I need that anymore to be happy. Whereas before, I would have I would have died for it. You know, like I thought I was like a, a martyr. I thought I was like, you know, it, it was going to be like the ultimate pursuit of my music. You know, or the music I'm, or is I'm good. That's what's annoying about it. But that's not what it's about. It's not about talent either, which is annoying. You think it is when you're younger. Right. Yeah, there's so many things. And these days, I mean, you also have to be totally committed to selling yourself. And that was never the case. I mean, even in the 90s, that was not the case. And I'm not good at that. And I have no interest in doing that. I have no interest in being on social media and selling myself constantly. And I think that right there, I think that alone pretty much disqualifies me from having a professional career as a musician. What have you seen as your highlight of your music endeavors? Has it been recording? Has it been a certain gig? I think the highlights have definitely been the moments that I've made, that I've been in the studio. I would say particularly the first record and the last record. Right. And so uh, I'm on the first record and Emily, and, and I love it. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was, that was an experience in my life. I mean, I love, that was... We made that record for a year, man, and it was like, it, it was just the most fun I think I've almost ever had in my life. I wonder, were you happy at the time? I don't think I was. I that's I was the, that, also really depressed. That's the fun. trick of it all. It's like, that was great, but if you looked at it then, there was something bothering you that day, I bet. That's one of my questions was going to be, what's bothering you today? Uh, I, I don't know. Answer it if you want. Yeah, uh, I, could, <laughs> yeah. I could go on about that. Okay, so it was making the first album. Making the first album and then making the last album too. Those were very satisfying experiences. And also, funny enough, at the end, so just to kind of wrap up my musical journey, yeah. I've, I haven't made music for a year. I haven't pursued it. I haven't really attempted to write a song. And when I left, when I stopped making music, I had one experience where I had, I had a booking agent briefly. But for a while, like he was getting me some gigs that would pay me really well. And I went down to Maryland and I did one. It was like the second to last show I ever did. It was the best show I've ever played in my life. I had an attentive audience of like 60 plus people. They were very accommodating. I had like, it was a very professional experience. Like I, I felt like 
this is on a lower level like what I wanted to do but at the same time the anxiety was like crushing and I knew that over being about to do it about to do it that's what I had recently I did a gig and I I wasn't comfortable the whole time yeah you got to overcome yourself you gotta overcome yourself and i think that's part of it and that's that's probably for a lot of a lot of performers have that i went out in a really good place and i'm happy about that you know like stopping at a place where i felt like at least i got to experience something like um appreciation for what i did having an audience that was there to sit down and listen to you for over an hour and then like write you a check at the end of it. And I just remember the feeling of after playing that show and like I'm driving to an Airbnb and I got more money than I've ever made from music in my life. Someone wrote me a check and said, we're glad to have you back. Check cleared? You know, check cleared. (laughs) Check cleared, I sold a few CDs or whatever. Is that as good as it gets though, really? That is it, that's doing it, I think. And you know the feeling that I had from this, and this is, I guess, why I have doubts about leaving it. Because after that, I had this feeling of, like, I think I truly didn't feel depressed anymore. You know what I mean? Like, I felt like this is what other people must feel like. And you have that recognition. Yes. Yeah, man, to get that recognition. And that's another thing. It's like... We're our whole life getting rejected, really, like, subconsciously. I mean, I do sales as well. So I've got to keep all that in check. And I'm not from a background where Brits aren't expressive. They won't tell you that, that you're any good or they love you or any of that. That's too weird and awkward. You don't do that in the music world either. No. Once you're in your 30s, like no one's going to want to be in your fucking band, you know, and like put in a bunch of hours and time into playing gigs and like building this thing up from scratch. Most people who are really good musicians, you know, have careers which they're, you know, hired guns. And for me, in making the last record, for as much as I loved it, I couldn't tell you if the guys liked the music or not. You know, like they showed up and they played with me because there was a lot of money behind it. I don't think they would have done it if they like thought there was just like nothing to it. But, you know, there's not really an indication whether like they're really into what you're doing. You can find it, but it's, I think it's easier in the UK, um, that element of it. But I was with Emily and I wanted an act that where we both performed our songs and we were in it together. I think that helped me. That's, I mean, it's a whole big subject, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't want to be too black and white about it. Well, the best thing for me is when you've written a song and you've recorded the bare bones of it, and then you hear them play over it, the fiddle and the keys, and that's really enjoyable. Yeah. For me, anyway. To see it come to life and to see your vision come to life and to create that is... And that's something I I guess I want to to touch on is like you know these days whatever comes of this you know the real like satisfaction has to be in the creation of the thing itself has to be in the doing of the thing not in what's going to happen after you do it you know and that's something that i've had that's that's something i had to learn to let go of over the years is like okay I'm, i'm doing this because because I'm an artist because at some point there's an urge there's an urge to create it and it fulfills a part of me that needs to be fulfilled and it doesn't matter almost after whatever comes of it when we've both done all this work and it's out there and it's great I think it's very easy to be disillusioned but also hopefully there's a reason to be proud it is a reason to be proud I mean anyone who puts themselves out there 
to make an authentic work of art yeah. should be proud of what they do. Yeah. I don't give a shit if it's good or it's bad. Yeah. I mean, to do that, and that's the whole other business. Isn't it more like, interesting than just being, being a consumer? Like, I'm totally, I don't want to be critical anymore. I don't want to run in a circle of people who are always judging shit. Yes. I just, I have no you idea. You come to the wrong town. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I also come from New York, which is, you know, I, I understand what that is. So we'll see what happens with me. Maybe there's another record in me. Maybe there's not. But I don't think I'd ever do it on a level again where there's an expectation from it. Random. So randoms, we're going to shoot through. I'm not going to digress from the question. If there was a statue made of you... What would you want the statue to be wearing? <laughs> would you have the beard? Would it be like that era of you? God, you know, that's, that's an impossible question for me to answer because I'm, cha- I'm in this like transitional place where I've given up the beard and the long hair. You okay. know? So you're in that phase. So would you be naked? No, no. I'd have clothes on. I would put myself in like a, a Leonard Cohen type suit. That's, that's what I'd kind of be going for. Have you ever woken up in a prison cell? Uh, yes. <laughs> well, oh, no. You just say yes. <laughs> Technically, it was jail. So, no, I have not woken up in a prison cell. But I've okay. woken up in a county jail, so many times. Many times, okay. Oh, uh, continuous run. Okay. <laughs> you discover a new city. What would be the first law you would establish that isn't in place in most cities? Now we're getting into, like... Politics. Politics. (laughs) Just random politic questions that are supposed to be answered immediately. Yeah. You know what I would do? In London, I would give pedestrians the right of way. That's what I would do. Good answer, yeah. Um, Okay, memories. I remember you once telling me you didn't eat for a day. What happened there? No, I I didn't eat for three days. I'll tell you On the trot? Because you just didn't have any money? I didn't have any money. And I probably spent it on other things. And what happened was, after the third day, I went into a, a blissful state. And it kind of, it seemed like I could just walk the earth and be at peace. And In it, Manhattan? In Manhattan. And I remember, I mean, it was awful for the first two and a half days. Like, it was awful. I remember going to bed on, like, the third night and just feeling, like, really depressed. But then I woke up. And I almost just, I just felt like untouchable. You know, I felt like I was in like a spiritual place. So you're on drink or drugs or? I wasn't on drink or drugs. Was that ha- I mean, I didn't have any money and I, I didn't eat. Just nothing. Just I might have had, you know what I might have done? Is there was like some mustard in the fridge. I probably put some mustard on a plate and like forked the mustard off the plate. You know, because I was so desperate. But it was really interesting to be in that place. You lost you weight? So, yeah. yeah, I did. You, you were just like, it was so weird to like feel so content. It almost made me think like... I think oh, I know what you mean, fasting. actually. Your worries... why people yeah. fast. There's something about getting in that type of state that makes you feel more connected. And, uh, and then I had a burrito and then it was gone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Someone Great. bought me a burrito. And then... Great. Good story. Okay. How do you feel about New York now? I'm over it. I tried it. I lived there for a year after having been gone for three years. It doesn't do anything for me anymore. It's too stressful. It's too expensive. It's too angry and bitter. And 
I don't know, man. Like, I just, I don't want to go out of my apartment and step out on the street and, like, hear people angrily shouting to each other and a cascade of honking horns and, like, you know, people pushing each other out of the way and people nervously, anxiously, like, rushing their kids into elevators. And I just, I don't Some would say there's also a bad side. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. How do you feel about me now? I feel I feel better about better about you than ever. Oh, great man! Thanks. Me too. Me and you. Do you remember standing across from Gray's Papaya in Manhattan with me for about two hours talking rubbish? I'd never had a vaporizer in my life. I think it was my twenty eighth birthday. What do you remember about that? Or is that too sensitive? No, I remember nothing about that. But it sounds right. Going to ask you what the hell happened. Um, and I'm not a weed guy, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. But I remember the ne- I went home and listened to the White Album for about four hours <laughs> till about 5 a.m. Yeah. Like, I was listening to Year Blues over and over and over in this lazy boy that they had up in that yeah, apartment. Yeah. And then I was at work the next day, and I think I, I was like, I thought I'd done, like, a Brian Wilson. I was still, like, felt like I wasn't with it. <laughs> so anyway, you don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember at all. Who's the best musician you've seen live in New York City that nobody really knows? Joshua Garcia. Okay. He was just like so amazing songs. I mean, he he was the closest thing to me to an authentic like Bob Dylan, Mm. but not in the old era, like of our time, Mm. you know? He wasn't a showman. He was just an authentic dude. I think he was like a... He was like, he had a job in finance. You know, he was like a, he had a nice life in Astoria, but he also happened to write these like amazing songs. He blew me the fuck away for sure. Okay. Play a bit of his stuff. So I will not be told that there's no one to blame. Oh, how good is a vote for the love of the game. And now everything's quiet and the people are tame. Any song you want to finish with? Carl Orff is a composer, a German composer, and he did, like, music for kids. He developed this whole style of, like, teaching music to kids. Mm. But it's it's all with marimbas, and uh, and it's the opening of the movie Badlands. Oh. And... For whatever reason, man, it's like, it's the most beautiful piece of music that, one of the most beautiful pieces of music that I've heard, just the simplest thing. And the way I would describe it is like, it's the closest thing I could use to explain what it's like to be in love. And so that's, um, that's what I would say is like something that I've listened to. And I do, and I listen to it a lot. Cool. Yeah. Ryan Martin, I'd like to say thanks for appearing on the Bevel Staff Podcast. Lots of love. Lots of love, man. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. All right. Bonjour.